Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Laymiller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. It is well known that depression and certain drug treatments for depression, such as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs, can lower sexual interest, sexual desire, and sexual activity levels. However, it turns out that the story of how depression and sex are connected is more complicated than this. Depression is one of those things that can affect different people in very different ways. Research actually finds that depression can potentially increase and decrease sexual activity. So how do we explain this pattern of results? Why does depression reduce libido for some people, but increase it for others? That's what we're going to be talking about today. I am joined by Joellen Nadi, a writer, speaker, and mental health advocate whose work explores the impact of depression on sex and relationships. Since 2012, she has written about sex, mental health, and how none of us are broken on her award-winning site, The Redhead Bedhead. Joellen is the author of The Monster Under the Bed, Sex, Depression, and the Conversations We Aren't Having, as well as the upcoming book, In It Together, Navigating Depression with Partners, Friends, and Family. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Healthcare training programs usually include some information about gender and sexuality, but few of them give you adequate training if your goal is to become a sex therapist or educator. This is where the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes can help. MSTI offers a PhD program in clinical sexology, as well as multiple certification programs in sex therapy and sex education for mental health and medical professionals. All trainings can be completed 100% online. Whether you're looking for a certification or simply an opportunity to build and expand your knowledge base, MSTI can help. For more information on their programs and offerings, find the link in the show notes or visit modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. If you love the science of sex as much as I do, consider becoming a friend of the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. The Kinsey Institute is the world's premier research organization on sex and relationships, and you can help them continue the legacy of Dr. Alfred Kinsey, whose pioneering research changed everything we think we know about sex. Visit kinseyinstitute.org to make an impact. Your donations can help support ongoing research projects on critical topics. You can also show your support by following Kinsey Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for supporting Sex Science. Hi, Joellen, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. It is a pleasure to finally meet you. So I'd like to begin our conversation by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional journey. It looks like we both became professional sex writers around the same time, about 2012 or so. So what is it that led you to start writing about sex in the first place? Okay, so I'm a failed theater kid. Right. So I basically spent my 20s bouncing around, kind of not knowing what I was doing. I, I got out of theater because it was nothing like the Muppets. And, and I started teaching yoga because that's what basic girls did in the early 2000s. And then I had this big life implosion in 2011. I got divorced. My father died. Like everything hit the fan all at once. And I started thinking, I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And then one night I'm sitting at a bar with a friend and we're talking about these guys we're seeing. And I turned to her and I said, I'd love to be able to just sit and talk about sex all the time, but I have to go figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And it took me about 12 hours till like my 
work day the next morning for it to hit me that what I wanted to do was talk about sex. And because it was a topic I always felt out of the loop on and, and like I didn't know enough and whatever, I thought other people probably felt that way too. And if I could make this website where I learned things and as I learned them, I could say, hey, I learned this. You should know it too. That would be cool and fun for everybody. And that's kind of how I got started as the Redhead Bedhead. Well, I love that because everybody, not everybody, but most people like to talk about sex and they like to learn about it, but there aren't a lot of great resources out there. And so it's great to have people who are sharing helpful educational tools and resources for helping people to better navigate their intimate lives. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to talk about depression and sex today. So you've written extensively about sex and mental health. And the basis for a lot of your writings has been this set of surveys and interviews that you conducted. So can you start by telling us a little bit about how many people you've talked to over the years and the kinds of questions that you asked them? Sure. So it started in 2014 when I did the first survey. And that was like a typical like multiple choice questions type of survey. And I asked people about their depression history, the ways it showed up in their sex life, the things their doctors told them about in advance, the things their doctors didn't tell them about in advance. And there was even a really elaborate section on like sexual activities you usually like and what that looked like when you were depressed that I ended up not using because the whole project changed. But I did that under the supervision of a psychotherapist named Stephen Biggs. And he worked with me. I would go to him and I'd say, can I ask people this? Is this ethical? Is this cool? Whatever. And I put it out and I thought, okay, it'd be great if I could get 100 responses. And uh, I got 1,100 responses, which was amazing. So at the end of that survey, there was a little thing you could fill in if you were willing to be interviewed by me. And 500 people said they wanted to be interviewed. So I made 100 interview slots available. And then because we're dealing with people coping with depression who are not super great at keeping appointments, 20 of those people showed up. So after that, for my subsequent interviews, I made kind of like an essay question survey, right? An interview that people could answer on their own time from their computer. They didn't have to make an appointment. They didn't have to show up. And that resulted in another 200 people. So altogether, it's been over 1,300 people. So it sounds like a lot of people want to talk about their experiences with depression and other mental health issues and how that intersects with their sex lives. And I'm not surprised by that because both depression and sex are taboo topics. And we often don't have a lot of outlets or safe spaces where we can talk about these things. And sometimes it feels easier to talk about these things online to a stranger over the internet. You know, I think that's part of the reason why I get so many people who sign up to be in my sexual fantasy studies, because a lot of people just don't have anyone that they feel like they can share their fantasies with. And so having that opportunity for catharsis or just the ability to talk about some of these complex issues that they don't otherwise get to talk about can be therapeutic in some ways. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, depression is one of those things that can have different sexual effects on different people. However, most people think about depression as something that lowers interest in sex, and it often does. So let's talk about that first. Can you give us a sense of how common this is? And also, what are some of the reasons why depression might lower interest in sex? And let's not get into the medication stuff yet, because I want to dive into that in a few minutes. But just, you know, depression in general and why it might lower libido. 
This is an interesting thing, and it tells a lot about how we as a society kind of view sex and our libidos and whatnot, because we really had to separate out the feelings about sex that happen when you're not medicated versus the feelings about sex that happen due to medication. And they all get lumped together and called lowered libido. But a lot of times with depression, the less interest in sex can have to do with lower self-esteem. It can have to do with the fact that depression just makes everything seem hard, right? So you can think, God, I'd love to have sex, but I'd have to get up and take off my pants and it just all sounds overwhelming. So no. And depression can also take away the flavor of everything, right? Everything seems kind of mess. So what's the difference? Basically, it's a different experience than that thing where sex just feels foreign and you don't even think about it. And those can both happen in the course of depression and its treatment, but it's important to be able to separate them if you want to kind of navigate your sex life while coping with depression. Yeah. And so there are a lot of different reasons why depression might have that libido lowering effect for some people. And some of the other work that I've seen suggests that part of it might have to do with people's coping strategy for depression. And so some people are what we call internalizers, where they kind of turn inward. And that seems to be related to lower levels of sexual interest and behavior, whereas other people are externalizers. They look outward. And so that's where we might see people engaging in very different levels of sexual activity. So coping strategies might also be part of the story here as well. Yes, and this was a big thing that I didn't know. Doing all the research for the first book was a huge learning experience for me because I went in saying what a lot of people say. We know how depression impacts sex. It makes you want it less. And it wasn't until that first round of interviews when a quarter of the participants talked about wanting sex or having sex more when they were depressed that it even occurred to me to ask about that. Yeah, and I think that's such an important point that when it comes to conducting surveys, you know, the quality of the data, the responses that you get is going to depend on the questions that you're asking. And if you don't ask the right questions or have the right response options, you might be missing very important pieces of information. And I found that in a lot of my research, by having some open-ended questions in there, where you say, for example, is there anything else you would like to tell me about this particular topic and how this intersects with your life? You often find, oh, there are things that I didn't realize because you know we all carry our own worldviews or biases into the way that we construct questions. We do the best that we can in terms of trying to capture diversity and experience and so forth, but sometimes you just don't know because you've never thought about something before. So is it through qualitative questions that you kind of learned that there is this depression horniness effect? Yes. So one thing I noticed in the actual initial survey is that anywhere where there was a box where you could tell me more or like anything I didn't cover, people jumped on that. And that's how I knew people were so excited to talk about this. And it gave me a little inkling that I had missed the thing about increased libido or, you know, having more sex. But it was really, it was those interviews, the stories people told and, you know, the ways people analyzed their own feelings and said, like, when I get depressed, I really want to like that comfort that I feel from sex. And, so, and that made me learn that not only did some people have more sex, but there was a whole range of reasons why that happened. 
Yeah. And so I'd like to talk a little bit more about some of those specific reasons. So you said about a quarter of your participants said that they get hornier or they're more interested in sex when they're depressed. And as I mentioned, part of this might be due to their coping strategy. Maybe some of these folks are externalizers where they're looking outward for ways of coping and dealing with their depression. But as you mentioned, it could also be just wanting to seek comfort. So what are some other reasons why people who might be depressed might be even more interested in sex or engage in higher levels of sexual behavior? What I noticed was that some people, they found good things in sex for them, right? They felt like there was a good payoff. A couple other people reported almost uh, sex as like a self-harm thing, like uh, they went out and they pursued dangerous sex or they put themselves in situations they wouldn't normally because like, fuck it all, I'm so depressed. So that was really eye-opening too, that like, there's not a universal, because the world tells us so often, have sex, sex is good, you like sex, sex is good for us. And there can be situations where, great, sex is amazing for us. And there can be situations where sex is not such a great thing at that moment. Yeah, it is so true. And this has me thinking about some other research that I've read. And What we see in the literature on depression and sex is that, yes, some people do go out and seek sexual behavior because they're looking for that comfort or because we know that sex can have a mood-boosting effect on people. People tend to experience a sexual afterglow that can last 24 to 48 hours where there's this sort of mood-elevating effect of sexual behavior. So for some people, it might be about that. But there are also, as you mentioned, some people who kind of seek out more dangerous and risky sexual activities. So there is that link, too, for some people where depression can lead to engagement in risky sexual behavior, such as having more unprotected sex, or in some cases, putting themselves in dangerous situations. There is a paper I read last year on sex as self-injury published in the Journal of Sex Research. And it was about these folks who go out and intentionally put themselves in very dangerous sexual situations where abuse and violence and other things like this can happen. And it's not the same as seeking out BDSM because BDSM is consensual kink. Things are negotiated in advance. These people will go into these situations. They don't have safe words. They don't have that discussion beforehand. So this is something different. And oftentimes it is about wanting to punish the self because they don't feel worthy. And they do this, they engage in these very intense and risky behaviors. And that in the moments might, you know, sort of provide that sensation that they're looking for. But in the end, it actually makes them feel worse because then they regret the behavior that they did. So it can become this thing where, you know, people might seek out sex to deal with their depression, but then they end up feeling more depressed in the end because they regret the behaviors that they engaged in. So it can be very complex when we're talking about this. And I think this is the importance of like community and the importance of good BDSM education and and stuff, because there were the people who talked about how, you know, they were members of like dungeons or they had their kink community. And in that quest to feel something, they got more into impact play, electrostimulation, whatever. And in the container of a trusted community where they felt safe, it was a good outlet. But I can totally see that going the wrong way if you don't have that space and you don't have the education on that going in. Yes, absolutely. So it is one of those things where people might be seeking out that sensation, wanting to feel something. And there can be 
different ways to go about this. And, you know, I think going that consensual kink route is one thing, but for the people who are really using sex as self-injury, that is a whole other issue that's, I think, can be further damaging to their mental health. Now, depression in and of itself, as we've discussed, can affect sexual desire and sexual activity levels, but some depression treatments, specifically the usage of antidepressants, can be another factor that affects someone's sexuality. Now, there are a few different kinds of antidepressants. Perhaps the most common are the SSRIs, which target the neurotransmitter serotonin in the brain, which is important for regulating mood. However, there are some antidepressants that target a different neurotransmitter entirely, specifically dopamine. So what can you tell us about the sexual side effects of these different kinds of antidepressants? So I'll be honest, because I'm not a doctor, <laughs> I didn't feel super comfortable getting into the like the intricacies of the different medications. So what I did learn was that there was one medication that the people from the I had more sex while I was depressed camp reported using. And then there was a lot of talk about what I consider the three different categories of side effects that came from SSRIs. Is that at all helpful? I feel like I didn't really answer that question. <laughs> yeah, so it is the dopamine targeting antidepressants that tend to be related to those increases in sexual interest and, and sexual behavior. But the ones that target serotonin tend to have this very different set of sexual effects. And as you mentioned, there are three of them. You know, it can impact your level of sexual desire, you know, just your overall interest in sex. But it can also have the effect of making it difficult to become aroused or stay aroused and also to have an orgasm. And for some people, that orgasm delaying effect of SSRIs is actually a desirable side effect. So there are some men who will take SSRIs as a treatment for premature ejaculation, even though they're not depressed, because they want that orgasmic delayed effect. But... By taking antidepressants, then that can also create those issues with sexual desire and sexual arousal. So, you know, in terms of getting that desired delay in orgasm, you might have this trade-off with some other sexual side effects. So when we're talking about the link between depression and sex, you know, part of it is depression itself. Part of it is the treatment that you might be seeking for depression as well. Yeah. And I always say... I break them up into categories, right? So there's the side effects that are the feelings about sex. So you're feeling differently about sex than you usually do. There's the set of orgasm side effects, right? So the anorgasmia, the delayed orgasm, and my personal favorite that I learned about doing this research, strange orgasm or abnormal orgasm, weird orgasm. I always say like they're orgasms, Jim, but not as we know them. People gave these great descriptions that were really visceral of like, I knew it was an orgasm, but it wasn't satisfying or it, it didn't actually feel good or it just felt different. And then the third thing I always say is the like things that change how your body functions. So the erectile dysfunction, the, the loss of lubrication, genital numbness, which isn't numbness like traditional like pins and needles, but it's more like, you know, that vibrator you usually use, you just suddenly can't feel it, it doesn't do anything. So there's like a whole host of ways SSRIs can mess up your sex life. Yeah, it's so interesting. I have read a lot about the impact of SSRIs on delayed orgasm, but not so much about how it changes the actual sensation of orgasm, which is super fascinating and I think could actually be really distressing to some people if, you know, 
orgasms are for many people one of the most intensely pleasurable things you can experience in life and then if you're taking this medication treatment and then you're losing that pleasure source you know you can see how that could be distressing but it could also lead to less interest in sexual behavior because it's not as rewarding you know part of the reason why a lot of us seek out sex is because we want that orgasm we want that intense feeling that we get from it So let's talk about healthy ways of navigating sex and depression. Whether you're depressed and horny or depressed and lacking libido, both of them can potentially be distressing. And I know some people might be thinking that, well, being horny doesn't sound like a problem, but it can be, right? So for some people who might have this depression horniness effect, as we mentioned, they might go out and engage in behaviors that they later regret. And, you know, sometimes these people will label themselves as sex addicts and sex isn't really the problem for them. It's that they have this underlying mood issue. And if that mood issue isn't treated, they mistakenly label the sex as the problem, right? And so we see in a lot of clinical settings that sometimes people are just looking at sex and saying, here, sex is the problem or high levels of sexual interest and behavior, but it's really the underlying mood issue that needs to be addressed. So At any rate, let me ask you this question. What do you want people to know when it comes to taking control of or reclaiming their sexuality when they're depressed? Okay, so this is important, folks. A lot of people will tell you, you know, there's lots of articles out there that say if you're depressed and you've lost interest in sex, just do it. Just do it because sex is good and you'll remember you like it and whatever. And that's dangerous on a couple of levels. One, it tells the extra horny people that might be engaging in unsafe behavior you're fine. You're doing well because sex is the thing you're supposed to be doing. So good for you. And that's not really helpful for those people. But for the people who don't want sex and who already have depression an illness that tells you you matter less than other people, your needs aren't important, it tells them to suck it up and do something they don't want to do that their brain might be screaming no about because maybe it'll work out and feel okay. But the thing is, maybe it won't. And then you're in a worse place than where you started. So the important thing is to not just do it, but also not do the, like, depression means I don't want to have sex. I know that. That's just how it is thing. So don't just do it. Don't just not do it. Make conscious decisions about sex. Check in with yourself a little every day. I know people get a little weird about, like, scheduling sex stuff because that's not sexy, but check in a little every day and you can see, how do I feel today? Does sex feel completely foreign and I don't even want to engage in it? okay, I don't push that today. Does sex sound like it would be a lot of work, but also, God, I kind of miss sex? Maybe you can work with that. And the bonus of all of this is if you have a partner, you can bring them in on this conversation and it stops that thing where you're just not having sex and it becomes a hot button issue and it snowballs and everybody's upset and resents each other and makes it an ongoing conversation so they can know that you haven't forgotten about them. You're not not attracted to them, but this is where your brain is at this moment when it comes to sex. Let's talk a little bit more about how to communicate with a partner about sex when you're depressed. For a lot of people, this is something that they really struggle with. You know, how do I even vocalize to a partner that I'm feeling this way? You know, because there's a lot of stigma associated with mental illness and mental health issues more broadly. So do you have any tips or advice you can share on just kind of how to get that conversation started in the first place? 
So I think it's important to establish the communication around depression kind of over the whole relationship, and then you're in a great position to apply it to sex. So the thing I always say, especially for couples, is, you know, we tend to fall in this trap of like, I see me over here and you and your depression over there, and we're against each other. But you want to get on the same team, right? So it's the two of you over here and the depression over there. And that gives you that ability to talk about, okay, this is how the depression's showing up right now. And then that can easily be applied to sex. So it doesn't feel like out of the blue, everything's changing and nobody understands why and people are mad. I know that that's like a tall order for a lot of people. I'm like, just take these two really difficult conversations and just have them. But if you take the baby steps towards normalizing it, eventually it just, it does become a thing that you know how to talk about. You have the vocabulary. I also say adopt a new vocabulary, right? So I use a thing called spoon theory, which is very popular in the chronic illness community, right? And it basically communicates the amount of mental, emotional, physical, whatever energy you have in spoons, right? So because I have depression, showering in the morning might take me two spoons where it takes my boyfriend half a spoon. So I run out of energy faster. And when we got used to that, my boyfriend was able to say to me like, okay, do you have the spoons to talk about this? Or I could say, you know what? I don't have the spoons for sex right now. And it would give us a way to communicate that we both understood that was really like an easy shorthand. Yeah. I love that idea. And, you know, sort of having these handy tips or tricks for just kind of getting that conversation started or a new language for discussing this with a partner can be so important. Now, one other question about navigating sex and depression goes back to the issue of antidepressants and depression treatments. And, you know, as we mentioned, sometimes people experience sexual side effects. So part of the communication here also has to be with your healthcare provider or whoever you're working with when it comes to managing depression or other mental health issues. So do you have any tips or advice in terms of, you know, how do you work with your healthcare provider to make sure that you're getting the best possible treatment, but you're minimizing any potential sexual side effects? So I learned something very valuable about a year before I started doing the research for this book. I was a brand new sex writer and I got put on a new antidepressant and it took away my interest in sex, my ability to orgasm, all of those things. And, you know, as a brand new sex writer, I was on a mission to talk about sex as openly as possible. So I marched into the office of this doctor who was a Boston man in his 80s and I said, I can't have orgasms and that's unacceptable. And he said to me, you know, most people don't tell us this stuff. And he pulled out this book he had that like told him the likely side effects. And he was like, and the way the information gets in this book is we get it from our patients, but nobody wants to talk to us about that. So my first piece of advice is know that your doctor might be really relieved that you bring it up. A lot of people think that it's going to be this like, don't go there conversation. But before you even have to have that conversation, the one big question to ask yourself is, how am I feeling on this medication? Because you might find that the medication is doing wonders for you and it has this side effect. And that's something you can go talk to your doctor about. But you might also find that this medication is not doing so great for you. 
and it has these side effects. And that's a different conversation. The first one is how do we make this work? How do we make this tenable? And doctors can work with you on dosage sizes or the timing of when you take the medication, because those things can all help you kind of sidestep some of that stuff. On the other hand, they can also work with you to try a different medication because don't be discouraged if it takes more than one. It takes a lot of people multiple medications to find the one that works. And it's all part of the process. It is all part of the process. And I think that's all great advice. And these are such important things to keep in mind. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Joellen. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your books? Absolutely. You can find me online at redheadbedhead.com and all my information about my books and all that stuff is there. I am on um, several social media places, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for the time being as just my whole name, Joelle and Naughty. Those are the places you can find me. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.